Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone wants to go to heaven. Well, not everyone. What's that song? If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. So we all want to go to heaven, but only if heaven is on our terms, right? We all want to go so we asked the question, what must I do to get there? Well, you have to do something, right? In the Matrix movie, what you do is take a pill. In a fraternity, what you do is initiation. Sorority, you pay your dues. A job, you apply. But what for heaven, what do you do? Some of us grew up using those gospel tracks. You remember those? You open them, and there's a series of scriptures and things that you do. I remember those well. The first one, I think, was from John 14, 6. Acknowledge Jesus is the only way. Uh, Romans 3.23, confess your sin. Romans 6.23, recognize the consequences of your choice. 1 John 1, 9, believe 
Your sin is forgiven, Revelation 3.20. Pray to God, Ephesians 2.8-9. Accept the gift, and Acts 2.38, be baptized. Right? Now, that's a lot of flipping around through the Bible. That's like putting a puzzle piece together, in a way. And you may wonder, why didn't God put it together like that for us? Because you can make any, the Bible say anything if you cut and paste and put these verses together. And then whose plan is it when you're finished, right? In my Southern Baptist college, my evangelism professor knocked the wind out of my nice, simple plan. The simple box I kept God in. He said one day, God is not just waiting for us to say the right words in the right order. Oh, she almost said it. He was so close to saying, too bad. What, he said? God doesn't follow the plan? That made me want to read how people in the Bible inherit eternal life. What did Jesus himself say? But I couldn't find one simple plan because what he says doesn't even sound like Paul's plan. For example, this encounter with the rich young ruler, as we call him, walks up to Jesus, asks him straight out, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, that people would just walk up to us and ask us. But it didn't end well for this fella. Jesus didn't follow the plan that we were taught. If he had, I think the rich young ruler would have gone away happy. Because he had his ticket. And he wouldn't be sad because nowhere in our plan do we have sell your possessions and give to the poor. He could have done all the steps of the plan and gone on his way, getting on with his life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, someone might say, well, preacher, it's a lot simpler than that. Just believe in your heart. True, believe in your heart. No confession. Just believe. But Jesus says even the demons believe. And there was that heathen, that centurion one day who said to Jesus, I know you can do whatever you say and it will happen. And Jesus replied to him, I've never seen such faith in anyone. Not even among his own people in his own religion. And belief, my belief is shaky. We all have shaky faith. Some days we have more of it. It seems some have less. Could we really trust our heart to believe perfectly and always? Our heart. You remember Margaret Atwood's poem about living with a faulty heart? She says, most hearts say, I want, I want, I want, I want. But my heart is more duplicitous. It says, I want, I don't want, I want. And then a pause. I want, I don't want. How can we live with such a heart? 
our heart is faulty and restless? Do we trust in our duplicitous heart to save us? And does it depend on how much I do to make it happen? Does it take someone to convince us to believe? After all, this is something invisible. Does it take someone who's good at marketing and sales to sell this plan, to sell the existence of God or the resurrection of Christ? If so, then we need ministers who are gifted in sales and marketing. Or what about that missionary who's driving to the village to sell the plan, he has a flat tire on the way, never makes it? Is our salvation in the hands of someone else? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Some say it's even simpler than that. It's about a personal relationship. It is. But the problem is, it isn't mentioned anywhere in the Bible. And maybe it's another puzzle we put together. But Jesus never said it, and Paul never says it, and Peter doesn't say it either. So why does personal relationship show up only in the last 100 years or so? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew 6 says, unless you forgive others, God will not forgive you. Matthew 7, it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. Matthew 10, he teaches, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. So which is it? Is it what we say? Who we are? Who we forgive? Or whether we do the will of God or stand firm? But then in Luke 19, there's a man named Zacchaeus. We little man. It says, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I give back four times the amount. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So is it what we say, who we are, what we do, who we forgive, or what we say we're going to do? And then in Mark 2, Jesus was teaching in a house, remember? There's some men who came and they brought their friend up to the top of the house. They dug a hole in the house and they lowered their friends inside for this sick friend to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus goes to the man who is sick and says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because, uh, he says, the faith of your friends. Wow. So is it what you say, who you are, what you do? What you say you're going to do or who your friends are or what your friends do. We could go on and on, but Jesus never gave the rich man a plan of salvation. What must I do? He says, why do you ask me? In other words, God has already taught you what to do. And he, he named several other commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. They all come from the Ten Commandments. And yet there were 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible. But Jesus lists only six. And notice, those six were only about our relationship with people. 
What must I do to get eternal life? Is it how we treat people? What you do is to do what God says to do and not to do to people. The rich man went away sad, not saved. We know what Jesus should have done, don't we? He should have held that man's feet to the fire, right? Because he could have used that. He could have used hell's flames to get a response for sure. But is that genuine belief? Or is that genuine fear? And is that a concern for how we treat people? Because I can threaten my son to clean up his room and he might clean it up. He might do what I tell him to do, but is it genuine from his own heart? He may be saving himself from punishment. When we get heaven because we're scared of hell, then who is doing the saving? Us or Christ? I will do whatever it takes to live. So just tell me what to do. I'll do it. But will I have a change of heart? If Jesus had preached more of those kinds of sermons, more people would be at the altar, would have followed him, I'm sure. But even the devil tempted him in the wilderness. Do whatever it takes. You'll get a lot of followers. Give your possessions to the poor or You want eternal life, do you? Then turn this place where you live into heaven on earth for others. You want heaven, he says? Don't steal because there's no stealing in heaven. Don't commit adultery because there's no adultery in heaven. Don't murder because there's no murder in heaven. Honor your parents. There is no rich and poor in heaven. There are no people competing for business or status in heaven. There's no hoarding of possessions in heaven. In other words, if you want heaven on earth, then work to make this place heaven on earth. And for those whose life is hell on earth. Rob Bell, he asked the question, what do you think of heaven? Isn't it fluffy clouds, dreamy clouds, wings, harps? Then how many of us see this world when we think of heaven? It's too much violence and greed and pain, isn't there? But notice each commandment Jesus gives about how to inherit eternal life is about relationships with people now. Otherwise, the rich man would have gone away happy because it wouldn't have affected his life now. But Jesus didn't tell people how to get to heaven so much as he taught people how the kingdom of heaven is here in life now and how life and heaven are connected. 
The Old Testament prophets talk about it like this. They say, when that day arrives, or in the new day, life will look a lot like the world today. They talk about the day when there will be a bumper crop of grain and wine and celebrations and nations will be streaming into Israel with all those foreigners from all over who look and talk and act different from us. There's diversity in heaven. Racists will will be miserable in heaven. And Isaiah says about that day, swords will be beaten into plowshares. No more weapons in heaven. But there will be farming, apparently. Life in heaven will look a lot like it looks today. Only some things will not survive. The things that shouldn't survive. War, rape, greed, injustice, violence, pride, division, exploitation, disgrace, and all those things. They don't get in. And hey, someone has to beat those plowshares, right? Beat those Plow, those swords into plowshares, which sounds like work to me. Is there work in heaven? There was in the Garden of Eden. God said, keep the garden. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if heaven means turning this world into heaven for others, then which for the rich man would it be sharing his wealth or going away sad? He goes away sad. He wants nothing of sharing his wealth. If heaven were merely sitting and waiting for life after death, then Jesus would not have said anything about giving to those who are poor now. The problem for this rich man is that he does not lack anything. He doesn't. He doesn't like, he thinks he lacks something because apparently he senses some emptiness in himself or something that, that he, he's dissatisfied with. He has everything, it seems. He has his piety, he has his religion, he has his wealth, he has his power. So Jesus says, you don't lack anything. But there are people around you who lack so much. Turn their hell on earth to heaven on earth. Better yet, he says, why don't you join them? This is good news. Now, it sounds like tragedy, but really it's good news. Give everything to the poor. Yet this man left sad. Why sad? You'll have treasure in heaven. Wouldn't that make us happy? In Mark, the rich man comes kneeling. He kneels before Jesus on his knees as a sick person does in Mark. In Mark, when people are sick, they come to Jesus on their knees. This man is sick. This man is possessed. He's possessed, but not by demons. He's possessed by his possessions, by his stuff. His stuff is getting in the way, and he, he needs to be freed from that excess. 
I'm not saying we save ourselves by giving away all our possessions. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Listen to Jesus. For mortals, it is impossible if you keep reading that passage. For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. To say we must give up our wealth in order to save To be saved, it puts a burden on us again. It's really about us saving ourselves. And gives us the power to save ourselves. But neither wealth nor poverty saves us. Only God. But there's still the problem of having too much stuff. I think it's because it keeps us from realizing that we need God. Because we use stuff to buffer against the vulnerability in our lives, don't we? We use stuff to feel the emptiness in our soul. We use stuff sometimes to feel less at risk when the world changes around us. If you're sad, go buy some stuff. If you feel empty, go shopping, right? A rich man had a very secure status. And get this, it led to him asking the wrong question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Essentially, Jesus says, there's nothing you or anyone else can do. And Jesus told him to release his wealth and give it to the poor. To go grow closer to the vulnerability of life. To take his own place among the poor because heaven is not about us paving our own street with gold or choosing our own mansion. It's about utter reliance upon God. The poor whom Jesus speaks about live close to that vulnerability, the fragility of life. So the poor are more likely and more able, perhaps, to respond to a vulnerable Christ. Christ's disciples free ourselves of what could stand between us and that vulnerability from following that one who will give his own life as a ransom for many. So we're to become like children or like those who are really sick, those who have let go of the things that we once depended on in order to see how much we should depend on Christ. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Let go of all we have and all we do that gets in the way of seeing that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Even then, letting go is beyond our ability. Salvation does not hang on how well we pray or how well we follow the plan or how strong we believe or how well we can hang on or give away. We're flawed. And even our motivations 
for inheriting eternal life is stained with sin. The hardest news is still the best news we could get. Our salvation really is impossible. Impossible except for God. For God in all things, God makes possible. Pray with me, please. God, we've just encountered grace. A grace is such a grand gift a gift none of us could give one another or ourselves. Show us, as you showed this rich man, what it is we trust in and how we trust in ourselves. And help us ultimately to recognize our own limitations, our vulnerability, to connect with our vulnerable Christ in his death and resurrection. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.